episode 35 at the MetroFed TV, we not so weekly rundown, maybe getting up to weekly again, who knows? Lenza Fernando here as usual, talking to you about everything that's happened in the last week of Red Bull New York soccer. How are you today, Fernando? Um, doing pretty good. Can't complain too much. I don't have the coronavirus, so that's, that's always positive. Oh, trust me. Uh, you get used to living to it after a while. like all the mass hysteria and shit right like people just like running to like their nearest like like a supermarket and buying like seven months worth of toilet paper like what the fuck is wrong with you man (laughs) like friends don't let friends be those kind of people right like if you if you if you did this this, if you did this at some point during the week any of you listen to this right now what is wrong with you man go to the mirror take a good hard look at yourself and think of ways that you can and donate there's seven months worth of toilet paper because we know what family does not need seven months of toilet paper for themselves. The fuck is wrong with you? Right. Uh, so now that we've been, uh, got, so now that we've got the divisiveness and toxicity out the way as a ardent Bernie bros, according to some people on my timeline, we can now get down to the nitty gritty of discussing the last week of soccer. And, uh, you know, I think, um, for the first time this year, this team kicked an actual soccer ball in context of an actual competitive game. And uh, if you look at it, we're back in business, baby. Yet another zone win against the uh, weakest <laughs> team in MLS uh, as of last year. You know, I mean, while I think uh, you can definitely say that since he maybe weren't going to be quite as bad as they were last year, you know, they have made a number of upgrades uh, in their department. You know, I think uh, looking at the way the game shook out um, last week, uh, you know, I mean, Jurgen Locadia, really big signing. You're going to make it more of an attacking threat. And on top of that, I think, uh, but at the same time, you know, I think um, in terms of a general game flow uh, for our team in particular, you know, once again, game of two halves, right? I think very much defined by uh, the single definitive thing that has defined the Chris Armas era in New York. And that is the incomprehensible ability to put out 90 consistent minutes of high-quality soccer, right? And if I think if you looked at the way we came out in the first half, right, you know, I think uh, one big positive, one big takeaway, probably, the mo- probably I could say one of the more enjoyable halves of soccer that I've seen this team play in the last year or so, that four triple two looking really good. Lots of fluidity. Lots of uh, you know, lots of aggressive pressing early on in the game. Kept Cincy off the front foot, and it was really see. It was really interesting from my standpoint, anyway, like watching the game, to see the press kind of manifest itself in the defensive phase in a variety of different looks, right? And I think the flexibility that the four triple two provides the front six in this case allows them to express themselves in a variety of defensive forms, right? Which was quite, it was kind of interesting to see develop over the course of the first half. You know, occasionally they'd be pressing with that front two, but then sometimes it looked like a front three, and if they really wanted to do it, it'd be a front four. It was really fun seeing the second row of, uh, two, of two players pinching on the wings while pinching on the wings of the walls moving out wide while everybody else has kind of shifted it, it in to trap them in, you know? Like, I think you saw a lot more of the um, fluidity and unpredictability in the way the press manifested itself 
uh, that defined this team's success in 2018, you know, and it was really nice seeing um, that manifest itself again. So I think let's begin the discussion there. Um, that was pretty fun, wasn't it? Like seeing the variety of, uh, seeing the, ver- the, way- the various ways the press would be able to, uh, was manifesting itself early on in the game. Yeah, I mean, look, that first half was, that first half is kind of what I was hoping uh, I was going to see after watching uh, the first, you know, the, the only, really the only two preseason games that we were able to watch. Um, I saw, I saw a real tangible progression in, in the team's tactics under Chris Armis. So that, that in itself is a super positive. Like it's, it's good to see that. Okay. You know what? Degree, he's proven that, you know what? Yes, he can, uh, he can roll out a set of, of, of tactics that, that make sense defined roles and not just in a simplistic way, but actually have a lot of character to it almost, you know, like, like you had said, you know, the different moments in the game kind of moving around the fluidity of it, um, kind of in the moment game state type of, of adjustments and shifts and changes. It was very positive to see, even if there were still some moments in the first half, you were kind of grimacing a little bit and you're like, eh, the, the, there were plenty of signs. Like if, if the whole game would have, would have, if the game would have finished the way it started, like if we got a full 90 minutes of that, I, I mean, I would have, I would have had to, bring myself down because I could, I definitely could have seen myself being like almost too hyped over just one game because that's, that's how, that's how positive I saw that. Uh, I saw that first half again, just from, from seeing how fluid they were. And, and, and like you had mentioned the different looks and, you know, it, it was just, it was good. It, it showed, Chris showed that, that he was capable of putting out a, a, a competent um, pressing scheme in a formation that has historically not worked for us. He actually made it, you know, it worked right for that first half. Like, okay, we could actually do this. We can finally go forward with this, uh, with a four triple two and do it in a good way, not in a simplistic way, but in a bit of a complex way. Um, and okay, fine. It wasn't full EDS, but it's okay because there were still the, the, the core ethos that we, that we want, right. We're still there. They were still pressing, occasionally pressing high, but even when they were playing in a little bit of in mid block and, you know, they were still pressing aggressively. The transition was super quick. They were looking for those quick outlets. They were playing compact. Again, all the core things of what you want to see of how this team should be playing, we saw. And that, that was a, a huge positive, especially considering that it was a brand new formation. Because uh, even this four triple two setup is still a little bit different than, the, you know, the iterations in the past that they attempted. So it was, it was, there's definitely a lot of positives in our first half. Yeah. And, and I then, think when, yeah, when, when you talk about the compactness, right, at the front six, you know, like hunting the ball is a pack again. And you're talking about the interplay that resulted from that. I mean, like, I think uh, there were so many times in the first half that you could see that, you know, this comp, the compactness of the front six, like, had together in hunting the ball is a pack. It's such, not only helps us on the defensive end, right, because of how, um, much it forces the opposition into um, making panic decisions on the ball and taking space away from them to work with. But it also helps us on the attacking side as well, right? Because we, when you saw, like, as soon as we went back the ball, um, there's a level of closeness that, the like, because of how close to front six we're in proximity to each other, you could start banging out all these really quick attacking inter- interplays to move the ball up the field, like, as quickly as possible once again. You know, I think... Uh, 
central to all of this, obviously. I think uh, if you want to talk about big positives from the first half, you know, I don't think there's any bigger positive than Florian Velo, right? Coming off oh, of yeah. two big knee injuries and back-to-back seasons and different knees, coming back and putting on a performance uh, like he did in the first half. I mean, that has to be so encouraging to see because of uh, his ability to kind of float in between space and link up with the rest of the team, you know, like keep the ball moving, uh, ferry the ball um, up the field and just send out these uh, searching passes. Um, I think um, sends out these searching passes into an attacker streaking into the attacking third. You know, I think when you talk about Velo's presence on the field, it takes so much of the playmaking burden off of Kaku and allows Kaku in turn to float in the space and deliver balls like, from the space that opens up for him as well. You know, I think we talk about how much we were missing secondary playmaking last year, right? Which is how we kind of ended up looking really static and unpredictable. Uh, sorry, no, static and predictable, sorry, in our attacking interplay. What you saw from Florian Velo was um, exactly the antithesis of that, right? Because now, now teams just can't just double down and Kaku and take away space from him, can't just man-mark him out of the game. Because now they have Florian Velo to think about as well. And then on top of that, like I think uh, we centered some discussion in the in the last week's episode on deferring roles, right? Um, whether you'll be seeing some different roles um, or certain positions this year. And interestingly enough, I think in this first game, like uh, you kind of saw that the fullbacks are still anticipated to be providing most of the width on the team. And uh, in the first half in particular, like it was pretty notable that they might actually have a lot more space to push into just simply because of the ability of Velo and Kaku and the rest of the front two, right, of Royer and White to create all these overloads in the center of the pitch that forces opposition defenses to kind of react to them by pinching in and leaving a lot of space out wide for the fullbacks to run into. And you saw it, you know, you saw it manifest itself a whole bunch of times, right? Like even before Cal Duncan's first goal, uh, sorry, no, even before Kyle Duncan's goal, the opener, he had another chance that basically manifested itself in the similar position, right? It was a pass from Christian Casper's Jr. Yeah, that was only a couple of minutes before that, too, only I think. A minutes, and before that, yeah, exactly. It was almost a carbon copy of the chance that was effectively created <clears> for <throat> the goal that he finally scored. You know, and I think, so in that sense, you know, I think massive, massive takeaway from that first half, you know, I think uh, is now... We have a defined, I think you could definitely see that we have potential for um, an attack that, unlike previous years where we were mostly overloading on the right, now it seems to me that we could potentially be looking to overload in the center because of the way that that front six operates, right? With your fluidity and your interplay and their ability to force force defenses to pinch in on them in the center of the field to open up the wings. What I thought it was interesting about the fullback play was um, even though they definitely weren't as consistently forward as maybe uh, we were used to Amir and Kamar being, you know, before, like in 2018 and and, uh, and earlier, um, <clears throat> not sure how to say it, but I guess it's, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, um, it seemed intent very intentional in the moments they did a good forward like it wasn't i guess my big fear would what it was going to be that you know 
the fullbacks would kind of stay a little, little, a uh, little deeper, almost in, in a, a consistent mid block to provide that width. But I was surprised to see how well they were able to kind of float around uh, with that front six, provide the width, but also still push forward. They didn't push forward all the time, but they still did it more frequently than I uh, th- than I thought they would, and they definitely did it with purpose. So it's interesting. It's gonna be interesting to see how these patterns play out, and I guess what are the triggers for the fullbacks to really push forward? Because it, at least just in that first half, it was kind of at least for me, it was kind of hard to tell for sure what were the triggers for them to just really go in. I mean, there were moments where I mean, Duncan was in the box for not just a split second. I mean, he was he was there for a while, uh, longer than you would expect, especially under you know this Chris Armas play. So th- there's definitely some definitely some tactical wrinkles I kind of wasn't expecting, especially with the fullbacks, because I'm I really really expect the fullbacks of all the positions to actually have been the most conservative this year under Chris. I really figured, regardless of what type of pressing and transition he would he was going to come up with, the fullbacks just simply wouldn't be as aggressive as they were, and they're technically not, but just in the terms of how consistently they're moving forward. But it was very refreshing to see that we still can't expect our fullbacks to be a part of the attack the way they were before. So that's that's a big positive. Yeah, and especially for <clears throat> Kyle Duncan, right? Because I think uh, the book on him going into the season, defensively very apt, but kind of limited going forward in the attack. I think, um, you know, it was good to see him bag that goal. They're trying to, you know, assuage some fears about his ability to be confident in the attack. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think a little mental thing that you can talk about as a player, you know, is the way he just kind of shook off uh, the fact that he missed a bit of a sitter right early on and took the ch- took the second chance when it fell to him, you know. And I think, uh, you know, I think especially since last year, you know, he, there was a lot of talk, I think, uh, about how he seemed to be a confidence player and how like silly mental mistakes seem to affect his game. You know, I think it's a nice sign of mental maturity to see someone just kind of shake it off like that and just focus on the next play. So, you know, big ups to Cal Duncan for... A splendid first half in that. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, he keeps it up the rest of the year. You know, I think uh, he definitely has the potential to be a fantastic fullback, uh, not just in context of MLS, but in context of, uh, you know, I think, yeah, a lot of latent potential there. So hopefully he yeah. develops that part of his, the attacking part of his game a bit more. And without a question of a doubt, it means he should never, ever fucking play left back ever again. So for the love of God, like if I see Cal Duncan at left back at any time this at any time this year, I'm probably just going to be jumping out the window because that's what ruined him last year. Please just stick him at right back and let him develop there. I think he's going to be an asset. He's going to be more of an asset if he gets to stay on the right side of the pitch. Um, so I think um, let's move forward. I think to the second half now, which is um, the hide. Right, I think to the Doctor Jekyll, that was the first half. <laughs> and folks, the book on the second half is is that I'm afraid that Chris, Chris Armist is at it again. again. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think I think we were talking about this um, a fair bit in the uh, DMs last night, where we were trying to decipher some notes for the game. But once again, you know, up two goals. And something just seemed to switch off at halftime, right? And 
I think I think we had quite a fair bit of difficulty, like really trying to phrase what exactly that it was. But you could definitely see that the team had lost its shape. You know, the compactness that had made them so deadly in that first half, right? That really forced Cincinnati into making all kinds of errors and uh, panic decisions on the ball. Lot was lost. And, you know, I think um, quite a fair bit of it has to do with the fact that it seemed like the base two defenders... Sorry, the base two midfielders, Sean Davis and Christian Caceres Jr., weren't really given the instructions to pursue the ball as aggressively, which resulted in the front four, right? The uh, block of uh, White, Royer, Kaku, and Velo becoming a bit more static. You know, I think um, when you look at the way the team was spaced in the second half, you know, I think a lot of the... Um, a lot of the same warts that have plagued us for most of 2019 manifested themselves again, right? Because uh, the inability of the team to stay compact opened up space in the middle of the field for the opposition defenders to, for the opposition attack to pass through. And that's what you kind of saw on that first, on the first goal that Cincy scored, right? Right after the half. Um, Caceres, uh, you know, unfortunately has a bit of a bad touch, the ball gets away from him, and because of how spaced out the rest of the attack is from him, uh, the, rest of the, the rest of that front block can't react in time to uh, press and harass the opposition in, in midfielders. They get to settle the ball, and they, have pass, and they have space to pass through us, you know, on the counterattack. It's exactly what happened. Uh, Tim Parker blows a defensive assignment, and suddenly Alan Cruz is away because Sean Davis can't catch up to him in the midfield. You know, I think people, I saw, I saw some, I saw some, you know, I think uh, some criticism of David Jensen and Patrick Segrist on that first goal. I really think the real culprits in this case, if you go back and look at the tape, you know, it has to be Tim Parker and Sean Davis. And uh, it was for those reasons that I just kind of uh, went back and explained. So, yeah. What's your take on this? Like, why do, why do you think we suddenly look so out of sorts in the uh, second half? Because Chris Armis is the manager. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so frustrating because I truly, truly, I look. I know I've been pretty damn, you know, negative um, about about Chris for the good part of the last year, and even, but I feel like going into the season, I was about as cautiously optimistic as I could have possibly. Could have possibly uh, have been, especially after watching those two preseason games. I'll even say I was more positive than I was cautious. Um, and after that first half, I was like, "Holy shit! Like, wow, that five, that little fucking seven day vacation over in Leipzig. Like, did he like? Did what kind of notes did he take? Fuck, he actually learned some shit. And then the second half comes, and then he just takes out his little pocket shotgun, aims it at his foot, and pulls the fucking trigger. <laughs> I just. It blows my mind. It, it, I'm actually more frustrated about this, I think, than before. Because at least I could say, okay, you know what? Maybe he just doesn't know what he's doing, right? Like he's just incapable of like leading the team to do something that he wants them to do. He showed in, in just still two preseason games, and admittedly only one half, that okay, maybe actually he does know what he's doing. Because like like we said before, the, the team looks solid and not just in a simplistic way. We saw some complexity to how the team was playing. So why the fuck would you come out in the second half at home, at your at your house, your place of, of fucking being, up two to nothing, and just say, you know what? 
fuck this. We're going to stop doing what made us good. Let's just <laughs> all the all those things that were working very well that gave us a two nothing win. Don't do that. Like who? How could someone like provide a rational uh, defense for that? It just it just doesn't make sense. And it wasn't even like I feel like there could there could be some some uh, nuance to the term sitting back because they weren't even like sitting back in the typical like just parking a bus kind of uh, kind of sense, right? Like they weren't playing a super low block. Um, at least for most of the second half, it was still kind of a midish block or so. They just they were slow. They they went from they they jumped out of the Ferrari and they went inside of a fucking Corolla. No offense if anyone has a Corolla, <laughs> but still, you know, like they just it, they intentionally slowed down. They state the 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 compactness just disappeared. They were opened up, and I feel like this kind of this kind of falls back to that state of confusion that we had talked sometimes about last year, where it's very difficult to force a game state. That's just not natural. Meaning if, if you're just kind of playing and, and you, the game flow and the game state kind of just gravitates towards you saying, okay, you know what? Maybe these certain things, you know, maybe moving too quick or these press triggers aren't working. Maybe I have to slow down. Maybe I have to adjust. That's a little bit more natural. You're 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 naturally slowing down for whatever reason to the game state. But when you're going out flying and you just make the decision to stop, to completely slow down, your brain is still moving a mile a minute, but you're now telling your brain to not do that. And you can almost see that in their faces and how they're how they're playing. All of a sudden, like because they're not thinking at 100 miles an hour anymore you know or they're not playing at 100 miles an hour like there's just this disconnect like guys aren't seeing each other you start seeing guys making errant passes because they're expecting someone to be there because if they were playing quick and if they were playing compact somebody should be there so once you start pulling that apart once you start slowing down and once you start sitting back in the 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 eds i guess you know context this is what you get you know, if you look at that first goal, there's absolutely no reason, no reason whatsoever why one bad touch, one bad touch that far up the field led to an immediate transition, a turnover, an immediate transition to goal. There's just no excuse for that. If that happened further back, closer to their goal, fine. That That's okay, fine. You no, know, it happens, right? But turnovers, especially one individual turnover that far up the field, should never be a reason for this team to just completely fall apart and definitely not give up a goal. Because part of the whole idea of staying compact is to create a little bit of chaos. I mean, there's times where it's actually a tactical, uh, a tactical decision to turn the ball over in certain in certain parts of the field and in certain situations because you want to create those chances to get second or third balls and then you know kind of create that transition. So they're, they're they should be used to just Okay, bad pass here, bad pass there. Not a big deal because you should have enough people compact close by where if you do lose the ball because of a bad touch or a bad pass, you have enough guys to kind of just drill in and press and then try to do your best to uh, uh, you know to regain possession. You can't do that when the nearest person is 20 feet away and on the other side, another person is 20 feet away and the nearest person after that is damn near on the other side of the field. And all this is happening because of tactical instructions and i just can't wrap my head around why that makes sense if you want to do that in the 80th minute 
I still think it's stupid, but okay, fine. I'm willing to 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 listen to to a defense of that. But this happened 30 seconds after the second half started. What was the excuse? There there is none. So to me, it's just it's another perplexing Chris Armis zone management where he just shoots himself in the foot. He may, just goes willy nilly and just makes these fucking stupid dumb decisions that fucks a team up. Any other team, if this was any other better team, even a mediocre team in this league, that's a loss, flat out. Yeah, you know, there's I no mean, doubt in my mind. Yeah, no, no, definitely. There's a lot of potential, I think, uh, for much better teams to be able to exploit <clears throat> these spacing issues. Right, and I think you can talk about, especially I think the, the the person who was definitely like getting nailed because of the sudden um, loss of the close spacing that made us so deadly in the first half. I mean, it's Christian Casares Jr. Right, mm-hmm. I think I think you talk about a lot of the errantness in his passing in the attacking third. I mean, a lot of that has to do with the fact that all of a sudden, you know, guys just stop flat out moving off the ball, right? And, you know, I think when you're in that position, it's really hard to pick out a pass, I think, when, you know, I think when guys are a lot more static, they're mostly rooted to the positions that you're standing in, but they're also, like, separated from you from about 15 or 10 yards. You know, it's hard to open up passing lanes or passing angles when everyone on the team is mostly um, not moving as fluidly as they were in that first half. Why were we suddenly finding space all over the field in the first half? It's because our own guys were focused on constantly moving and passing and moving into space once we won the ball back as a unit. We stopped playing as a unit in that second half, right? I think that as much is clear. The front six no longer hunted the ball as a pack. It took away the closeness and the, the ability to have the proximity that the team had to each other. And it also took away the ability to start doing all these fluid attacking movements through the space that would open that that opened up from immediately winning the ball back from the opposition defenders that high up the field. You know, we became a much more conventional in the way that we started to try and use the ball as well. And as anyone I think knows, like we are not supposed we are not a team that is built to play a conventional possession game, right? It goes back to that ugly P word again possession i fucking hate possession okay <laughs> let's get that out of the way first you want to wank off the guardiola go listen to another podcast i fucking hate <laughs> this conventional possession game and we don't have the midfielders uh for that you know and i think it boils down again to what you mentioned and it's unfortunate that you start to see these are players being affected this way when you know that there is a blueprint that very clearly worked in the first half and it disappears in the second half. And that's, I mean, I've been, I held out hope in the beginning of last year that maybe it sorted itself out. Like once uh, the manager settles into his role a little bit. But I don't know, man. I mean, like, uh, that doesn't really get the benefit of the doubt for me anymore. Like I think I mentioned in the season preview. But also, to be fair to him, I mean, it did take Jesse Marsh the entirety of the 2016 season to kind of, come to the realization as well that we shouldn't be sitting back all the time. Right. So, I mean, but you know, you know, what's frustrating about that though. Like if Chris Armis was just some random dude that they scooped up, I'm willing to, I would have such a longer leash than I do. I mean, it would be a mile long. Like I get it. Cause you know what? Like you said, the best manager ever 
had to go through those growing pains himself. What, nine, ten blown leads or some shit like that? Two nothing blown leads blown within the last 15 minutes in a game or some crazy shit like that? I get it. But Chris Harmis was there when that shit was happening. He yeah. was there. He was part of the coaching staff in 2016 when they were blowing those leads. He was on the coaching staff in 2017 when they when they came you know when they pulled this three five in the back out of their ass that wasn't even like a super park in the bus type of formation despite you know five in the back it was still rooted in pressing aggressively and 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 transitioning quickly like he was there for 2018 when Jesse when 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 Jesse took all those lessons from 15 16 17 and put forward what we saw in the beginning of 2018 he's not new he sh- he was there experiencing all those moments he should have such a huge like wealth of knowledge uh, uh, to to start off with in a much more positive way instead he just says no fuck this i'm gonna throw this book away and i'm gonna get a coloring book and just start fucking you know drawing circles and shit and starting from there it's <laughs> stupid i don't like i don't get it, it makes no sense whatsoever and then, and it becomes so hard to to keep some level of optimism when you see that first half. It's like, oh wow, he's actually fuck, he's actually learning something. And then again, the second half comes around, and nope, Chris Armish is at it again. Typical Chris Armish shit, just just slowing things down for God knows what fucking reason. Just makes no sense, you know. And and you know, you mentioned Castro. It's like, look, he doesn't have the pure athleticism. Of of Tyler Adams, I mean, everyone that, that's a known that's that is what it is. But where where what he was able to do was his IQ is so good and his ability to read the game is so good. But the way he could cheat, and that's how he can't cheat. But in order for that to really 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 work, you got to work with him a little bit. You have to make sure that you you put him in a position where he can do that, right? So when you're playing compact, he doesn't have to cover that much ground. He doesn't have so much space around them to kind of, you know, to, to kind of worry about basically or have to run around and, again, just simply cover the ground. But when you all of a sudden open all this space, it becomes difficult because he now has all, a lot more space to cover. He's, there's, just, there's just more things for him to do, and he's just physically not capable of doing that. So like, it's just – it's another one of those things where it's, okay, you start the first half – and I'm like, wow, maybe maybe we're seeing the tactical solutions for not having a quote unquote Tyler Adams in the midfield. That's fine because now they're going to be super compact. You got the fullbacks covering space. Like this is this might actually work because he has just enough space where he can physically handle handle it, but also enough space where just him simply being able to read the game as well as he does, um, he can cover that ground, right? But once you open that up and you just fuck everything up. Well, you, you expose him. So now he makes an errant, you know, an, uh, an errant bad touch, which doesn't happen that often with him. But a bad touch, the next person is 14 miles away, and then you know, next you know, you get you get you get a turnover and you score. It's just, it's just stupid. Yeah, you know, and especially for young players, right? Like I think um, he's still only about 19 years old, and not every 19 year old is going to step into the center of the field, especially for a position like central midfield. In context of our system, where so much, where there's so much responsibility, and uh, so much things we need to keep track of, you know, and expect him to just knock it out of the park every single time, right? I think we can definitely. Um, it definitely doesn't take away from the fact that he didn't have a great game, but a lot of the reason why he didn't have a great game can be put down to being not being put on a position where he could basically strut his best stuff, 
right? Like it, it's like a, it's basically what you mentioned. Like it's the second half was a masterclass in exposing the deficiencies of our two center midfielders, which we talked about okay. in our in our season preview. Um, so, um, I mean, look, that... for just let, well, the last thing I'll say is is this to me this is a perfect game where it demonstrates why it's not always about the roster. Yeah. Right. That, that it really comes down to tactics. You saw that first half that, okay, we don't have, uh, again, we don't have the Tyler Adams, right? We don't have that, 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 that six that we're kind of desperately wanting, but we saw that first half, how that can work. So even though we didn't have that, the, the, the roster, let's say that, that maybe we, we want the tactics simply fit the roster that we do have in a good way. And, and the team, they look good. Yeah. When, when you change the tactics that no longer work for your roster, you get the second half. So you take you take the same exact roster. I mean, this is almost a, this is almost a 2018 2019 comparison, right? You take basically the same roster. You play the way you should play according to how that roster was built. You get a two nothing win or a two nothing lead in the first half. You change tactics in a way that just simply doesn't fit the roster. You get a one-two second half, and realistically, it could have been worse. Yeah, if uh, a couple big saves from David Jensen in that second half, especially in that one-on-one with Locadia. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, without further ado, I guess we'll we'll just move to stocks real quick. Just give a quick stock up, stock down for people that caught your eye. So I think to recap at FCC, stock ups. My my stock ups will go to Kyle Duncan and Florian Below. Stock downs, you know, I think it probably give him unfortunately. To, I'll give I'll give him to Tim Parker because I think he was all over the place that second half. Um, Patrick Segrist I don't really think is a MLS ready yet, so I think he'll get a slight one. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, for all the other problems I think that uh, Armis had, I'll definitely co-sign on what you talked about about the fit between tactics and roster. But you know, I think. It was a rough one for Christian Casares Jr. and I hate to do it to him, but yeah, you know, I think he probably gets a bit of a, a bit of a downer in uh, my book because I think this game kind of showed you um, a bit, some of the holes that he has in his game. You know, I think uh, that we yeah, talked about last year. Fair. So yeah, that will be my stock up. That's fair. Yeah. So my three stock ups, uh, definitely Duncan. To me, Duncan was was player of the game without a doubt. Um, Florian Below is a very close second, um, and I'm gonna give my third one to uh, to Kaku. I thought he did, I thought he did really well in that first half. He was very involved. Um, yeah, I, I did. It, just in general, the pairing between him and Below was was so good to see. Um, but yeah, you could just see that high level of confidence that uh, you know, that he has playing next to Below, and and, and he showed it. Um, stock down is Parker, dude. I, I man, you, you got to start showing that 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 you're that nine hundred thousand dollars center back because I just I'm sorry it's it's been a year now and, and game one of of season two and I just I'm struggling to see it, it, it that was not a good game. Then it, despite all the stuff that led to that moment, seeing him kind of just be out of position and just casually jog when when he does have some pretty good speed was was that to me that's just unacceptable. Um, Segris, you know what? I, I hate to give it to him because he's kind of being put in a position he shouldn't be put in. Uh, but yeah, he's he didn't have a terrible game, but he didn't really have a good game either. Um, and then my perpetual 
guaranteed stock down every game going forward until proven otherwise because I'm back on my shit. Fucking Chris Armis. Seriously. <laughs> like, just by default, it's just going to be just, like, forget stock down. I want him taxed at 90%. Like, I want his income taxed at 90%. <laughs> If you had a thirty-six, if you had thirty-six minutes in your pool at the moment where we say Armis out this episode, congratulations, you're the winner. Thirty-six minutes and twenty-one seconds, and I'd like to say Armis out. Um, and, and and I'm just going to double down on the fact that I am honestly more pissed off and 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 disappointed at the fact that he showed that he that we really could be a, a solid team with good quality you know, tactics in that first half. And he just made the conscious decision to say, you know, guys, stop doing that entirely. So until we see consistent, solid 90-minute performances, then, yeah, just get stop, just down to sell. It's like, it's like negative interest. It's like negative yields at this point, right? Like you're actually yes, yeah. you're, you're paying you money to buy the stock. Like that's unbelievable. <laughs> so like, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, let's move on from finances because uh, the financial, uh, yeah, let's, let's just not really delve too much into finances right now. Um, I think on the topic of Patrick Segrist, right, I think uh, I'd, I'd like to shift the episode on to a little bit of a um, little juicy bit of news, right? I think when we talk about Patrick Segrist not really looking like an MLS caliber fullback just yet, you know, I think uh, something's going to be happening soon that rectifies that a little bit you know like i think uh, as you saw from the first game you know i think Segrist does need some seasoning down at usl just to kind of get adapted to the uh, to a professional level of game get into a professional rhythm you shouldn't be turned into a second buckmaster right where he's basically thrust into a situation that he's just simply not well equipped to handle at this moment in time because going from college straight into mls in this day and age i mean i think that's going to that's going to be a ridiculously hard leap for anybody and no draft pick as good as he is should be subject to that you know i really think uh for going forward to his uh he could do with some seasoning red bull too and that seems to be on the cards now because interesting reports out of france we're very close to signing french vietnamese fullback jason pendant from sc Sochaux uh in league 2 in france and um you know, I think this was kind of uh, foreshadowed a little bit, right, by the unfortunate um, death of our me of uh, the meme king Reese Buckmaster the day before the season began, right? Just kind of unceremoniously waved in a fright. Yeah. And it was like what a Saturday afternoon news dump. Dude, right? It was like someone was like, I don't know, someone was like making lunch. You're like, oh shit, fuck, we never hit send. <laughs> Not naming names or anything. Uh, <laughs> we might get a it DM. <laughs> might get a no, DM no, no, after no. this episode. <laughs> no, it just it just seemed like such a casual, like, oh shit, we kind of forgot to do this kind of thing. You oh know, yeah, by the way, Re- not- oh yeah, by the way, Reese Buckmaster's dead. Yeah, sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> poor fucking guy. Uh, anyway, but yeah, um, Jason Pendant, Pendant, Pendant. I'm just gonna go with Pendant. Um, yeah, so book on him, you know, 23-year-old uh, French of French-Vietnamese descent. And I got to say, you know, I'm biased. I really like the ASEAN flavor that's coming out, the signings uh, this season between him and Samad Boonthong. We're going to have the entirety of Indochina playing for this team at some point, and that's fuck- and that fucking rules. 
Okay, so when Kaku <laughs> decides to go off to Mexico, I'm going to give you guys a name right now. You're going to have to sign Vietnam's Nien Quang Hai because that guy is going to be a fucking star. I'm telling you, B. <laughs> Vietnam is the future of Asian soccer. But anyway, um, yeah, back back to back to uh, Pendant a little bit. I think the book, um, not a lot of footage on. I could dredge up, unfortunately, so I can't really get a really good grasp on uh, his style of play or what we can expect. Um, which kind of makes this one a bit hard to read. But I think the more interesting thing about this signing for me is that it seems to indicate a shift. A definitive shift, I think, in the transfer targets that we are targeting in the market right now, right? Definite shift in the transfer strategy once again. It doesn't. It no longer seems like Dennis Hamlet just kind of walking around with a ceramic bowl and begging the other GMs in MLS to give him something, right? Like there's a defined strategy here. We're targeting um, prospects in your early 20s in the lower leagues of Europe that have some upward mobility and some potential, right? I think you some of the names that we are being linked to this offseason definitely fits the bill again. You know, it, go, it goes yeah. uh, from a secondary division, right, in a domestic league with a bit of history. Um, uh, with, with uh, you know, who has had regular professional starts uh, to start his career. And uh, he's a co-captain with that team, or was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like there's some pedigree there, right? I think he's got some youth caps as well, if I'm not mistaken. I could definitely be wrong in that. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'll need to fact check myself in that one. But without saying that, I mean, like you look at some of the other names that we were targeting this offseason window, right? I think uh, for uh, Leonardo da Silva, right, from Paul, who had Sam Cosgrove from Aberdeen, uh, a whole variety of strikers from the United Kingdom at one point, right? And then you go out and sign Manny Egbo from the Zweite Bundesliga. Um, definitive shift in transfer strategy there. I think uh, you could definitely see that the book in New York now, it seems, is that we're going to be used as a sort of a catchment area, maybe, for these 20-something prospects that are just kind of bouncing around the lower leagues in the hopes that we can develop them into something more with the infrastructure in New York. And I think... It's a, it's definitely a bit of a – where the rest of the league is kind of zigged towards uh, raiding South America, right, for their next signings. We've kind of zagged in that sense, you know, targeting mm-hmm. European 20-year-olds with some upside. You know, I think it's been definitely quite uh, an interesting shift in transfer strategy. And it seems like we've identified our, ourselves a new market inefficiency here. But um, – have you been able to uh, dredge up more on Jason Pendant that you'd be able to share with our audience today, Fernando? Or are you kind of in the same boat as me? Um, for the most part, yeah. I mean, the only thing I was really able to find were um, maybe like a couple of longer individual um, clips of a lot of the shorter clips you would see in the yeah, the Google YouTube compilations. So there's a little bit more context to what kind of happened leading up to whatever it was they put in that compilation. Um, it's still kind of hard to really dig up a lot of stuff. Um, I did find a couple of full games. I just haven't had a chance to actually sit down and watch them, you know, with, with the baby and everything. But um, for what I have seen, he looks, he kind of fits at least just the baseline of what you would want. He seems very quick. Um, he seems athletic. Looks like he can read the game pretty well. And his passing seems to be 
pretty sharp. Um, he's not someone. It doesn't seem like it doesn't look like the team that that he's with is a team that's really out there pushing forward super high and getting them really involved in the attack. So it's hard to kind of judge how well he'll be in those situations. Uh, the only goal he's ever scored was an absolute golazo, like some like that that goal of the year kind of candidate for uh, uh, in at least in MLS. Um, but uh. Oh yeah, yeah so, that one. Yeah, that was like a John was, Arnold Risa special, right? Absolute fucking yeah. rocket with the left yeah, foot. It was seriously. If he just does that once, he will be a guaranteed fan favorite because you now people love you know seventy-five yard uh, fucking goals. Remember the but, last um, time we had a left back that enjoyed shooting, uh, especially when he took a free kick over a certain club legend in twenty fourteen, or is it twenty thirteen? Uh, that sent everyone into raptures. <laughs> <laughs> Good Not times. naming names again, but <laughs> uh, but yes, I mean he, for me he fits he fits the the basic molds, right? He's again he's quick, he seems to, to read things well, he's good with the ball, um, you know his passing seems to be you know to be pretty solid, and I mean that's I guess it's kind of just a generic template for what you need. The fact that he he is pretty quick, um, and he does seem like he can track back pretty uh, pretty well. You know, I, I would assume he would be good for emergency defending. Um, I cautious, not really cautious, but just yeah, you know, kind of just see what happens. I mean, he, he didn't. From what I saw, he's definitely. I would say he's definitely more prepared than Seagrest at the very least. Um, you know, one thing I don't want to do this season is like compare any incoming guys with guys who may have left. You know, like I, Kamara's Kamara, man. There's we're not gonna get another Kamar unless we just bring him back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and and but on top of that, like the team's tactics are just fundamentally different. Even if you look at it in a positive way from that first half, they're still different than what we're kind of used to. So like the fullback roles are still are fundamentally different. So we don't you don't need those same qualities as let's say Kamar provided. You know, so he might have a totally different skill set and it might work perfectly fine. Duncan's another example where. He may not be as just you know lethal going forward in the attack in a consistent way like Amir was, but Duncan still showed in that first half that he's more than capable of pushing forward when he needs to and, and being a threat, uh, but still also provide solid defensive cover. So I don't I don't want to compare this guy to what you know what Taxi was able to do. Um, I think for the role that we might be looking at for the fullbacks, just from very little bit of, of YouTube videos I was able to, to find. I think he's got at least a template of what could potentially work, but we'll have to wait and see if it actually happens. Yeah, no, it's it, it, it definitely like a wait and see kind of deal for me, especially like if, uh, how how sparse the footage on him is out there. As it turns out, League duh, is not a very uh, well-documented league on YouTube by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, honestly, I'm surprised. I'm su- I, I've been able to find... I was able to find more videos of like Division Three Bundesliga, whatever if that's even what the, what the league is even fucking called. I forgot what their what the name in uh, Germany. But I've seen like you know third uh, German third league uh, games in full, and way more abundance than the French league too. I was a little surprised at how uh, far in between and how hard it is to to find those clips. Yeah, um, but I think to kind of tr- draw back to uh, something that I wanted to say about. Um, yeah, I mean, about what he potentially has to offer. You know, I think uh, 
he brought up a pretty good point here about just not comparing him to Kamar Lawrence, right? We got to, we got to come to the acceptance here, folks. Kamar's gone. Okay. If he becomes a second coming of Kamar Lawrence, I think that's probably going to be the best case scenario here, but you have to manage expectations on yourself. Right. And I think when it comes to managing expectations, it's been something that we've been guilty of in the past um, as well. Uh, so, um, just from a completely ideological standpoint, like definitely a wait and see kind of move, uh, because I think it's also just not very clear about when like he's going to be able to join us, right? Because I think we've translated a number of tweets from French, uh, which I think I, I mean I have a very rudimentary understanding of, but uh, a lot of I think uh, it's um, that. There's a lot of confusion over whether or not he's going to be able to join us, I think, in summer, or if he's going to be joining us in an immediate transfer, right? Because I think the announcement from the team, from the Sochaux team account, right, said that his contract expires in June 2020. And, but he's going to be transferring to us, uh, provided he passes a medical. And so I think, like, we haven't really had an update about whether or not he's even going to be available for selection within imminently right like does he transfer through and does he be available for selection like about a month after the transfer clears because of yeah. uh, so oh. so real quick so just talking to some people um it seems like though it seems that it's his contract is his contract was up in june they offered him a new contract he rejected it so basically they're transferring him out to just kind of you know get what they can Cash, so cash I, in while they can, right? right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, from I, I wasn't able to get a definitive answer, but just from conversations, it seems like yeah, like we would. It's ideas for it to to happen as soon as possible, you know, barring visa bullshit and all other stuff. So I would say probably yeah, end of the month, maybe beginning of April, we should expect them. Yeah, you know, I think. The sooner he gets to New York and we can see what we have in our hands, I think the better. Because I think, um, you know, I think we're, we're not going to be well served by having Patrick Segrist in purgatory as well, right? I think no. he could definitely do with some seasoning at USL. Uh, the outing that he had against Cincinnati kind of indicated that he's not quite there yet. He could be there yet that in the future, but he needs some seasoning. You know, and I think if you yeah. could have someone who can kind of slot in and take the majority of the minutes starting at left back in MLS this year, some with a bit more professional pedigree and a bit more experience under his belt, you know, that's good. And I mean, like, it's funny that I talk about experience, you know, because I mean, they only are about a year apart in terms of actual age, right? But the simple fact of the matter is that Pendant's been a professional much longer than Secrets has. Yeah. You know, he's played actual minutes against grown-ass men in a professional <laughs> setting, you know? And I think just because of that, he's going to come in with a lot more, a lot more season than Patrick Seegers is. You know, because he's yeah, look, simply played at a much higher level already than college fucking ball. And college ball is not a particularly high bar, like, in the slightest, right? No. Yeah, and look, you know, it, he just turned 23 uh, a couple, I think maybe a, a month ago. I think his birthday is, like, the 8th or 9th of February or something like that. So, I mean, he just turned 23. And, you know, to be that young and to be you know, co-captain and depending on the game, he was a full-on captain. That's not a small thing. I mean, I don't know what the culture is like for his club, 
you know, but just generally speaking, that's not something you typically see. So that, that shows, I think there's something there as far as, you know, maybe he's got some leadership qualities, um, you know, just that kind of potential. I'm not one to really pay too, too, too much attention or really give any kind of like credibility to the, the, the um, value that transfer market puts. But usually when you see a younger guy trending up in their value, regardless of what the number is, that's usually a good thing. And I think they have him re- re- uh, valued at like a million or something like that, which is up from like 500000 a year ago. So there's got to be some kind of real, you know, steady growth of, of, of him. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely wait and see. But I, I think I think this is someone who could definitely work out. But, yeah, we got we got to see how he looks once he signs and once he's on the field. Yeah, uh, so I guess uh, with that, we'll put a bow on the uh, discussion for Jason Pendant, and we'll move on to this week's game against RSL. Um, I think discussion on RSL is going to be very brief because I'm going to be quite upfront when I say this. Um, It's still early on in the season. You have no idea how the fuck anything is going to shake out these first few months, right? Because teams are still trying to figure out and gel and come together with the, all the new pieces that they've brought in. Um, so I think the major team news for RSL, I think uh, major off-season moves, I think they've lost a couple of really good players, right? And Sebastian Sosedo and uh, Jefferson Savarino, right? I think two pretty big losses. I think Savarino was, a, probably, was probably their best attacking piece last year. Looks so good going forward when he wants to. And of course, when every time when you, you when you talk about visiting Salt Lake City, right? Like elevation always comes into play. Uh, it may not be Colorado, but it certainly still is elevated enough. And it's early on in the season where all kinds of nonsense can sprout, right? I remember when we visited there in 2018. You know, it was a really ugly, um, really ugly, chippy affair, right? Not a lot of great attacking quality. Um, especially early on in the season where guys aren't quite at peak physical condition like they are midway through. So I, I kind of expect, you know, I think uh, that being said, this isn't a roster that has a lot of quality that really leaps off the page when you look at it. I think um, if we are going to have any serious ambitions with um, challenging for anything this year, I would generally say that. Um, this would be a team that you would kind of want to expect to beat, even if you're away. But I don't even know if we're really in that tier of teams this year. So, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I, I could totally see this as being like just a really unremarkable early season loss on the road. You know, I think uh, what their, their marquee offseason acquisition was Giuseppe Rossi. Like, really? <laughs> Like Giuseppe, yeah. like the kneeless wonder Rossi, hasn't played <laughs> soccer in like a year and a half. Uh, of course, this is going to be like famous last words, right? Because I'm probably going to eat so much fucking humble pie for talking shit about him on the podcast. It's going to score like a hattie and then take a shit in like a take a shit in Tim Parker's chest or something, like <laughs> in the middle of the game. Like, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I mean, um. Anything really stand up for ourselves for you, or should we just move on to predictions? Yeah. I mean, you're 
their their awesome signing, I guess, for the season. Um, I mean, look, I I'll be honest, I have paid attention to that team. Like, I I cannot give any less of a shit about a team. I think that I do RSL. Like, I just don't think about them at all, pretty much ever. Um, <laughs> I, Rossi seems to be the biggest move, which I don't think anyone would deny that he's got incredible talent. But I mean. I'm I'm convinced he doesn't actually have knees. No, I don't know I don't know what what joins his limbs there, but it's not knees because I've never seen someone break in that area as often as he does. I mean, so hey, ho- hopefully I don't. I wish him health. Don't get me wrong. I want it, you know if he can go this whole season without an injury, that'd be awesome. Um, best wishes to him. But yeah, I don't I don't see RSL being um, a good team. And at the same time, I mean, <laughs> what what team are we going to see tomorrow? Are we going to see the first half against uh, against Cincinnati, or are we going to see the second half? Are we going to see the first half for a whole ninety? If we do, yeah, I we sh- no reason why we shouldn't be able to win. Are we going to see ninety minutes or seventy five minutes of what we saw in the second half? That's the case. We're going to somehow lose to what is probably otherwise a shitty team. I mean, this is this is part of being in the zone, right? There's so many options. Of, of what could happen. We can go there and just punch them all in the dick um, and come out with three points. Like, oh, wow, cool. Or, you know, we get a game like we did on, 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 on Sunday. So it's, it's you know, I'm just kind of segueing here a little bit, but I do have to say it is definitely depressing thinking about how low the standards have gone. Like, I remember, I mean, shit, 2015, 2016, even to an extent, 2017, but definitely 2018. Like, there was never a game where I felt like we could lose, even if it was an away game. Even if it was an away game, I'm like, no, we should definitely still win. Like, even if we're rotating, it's like, ah, maybe it might be a draw, but nah, we should still get this. We should still get this. Now it's like, probably going to lose, <laughs> but maybe they win if they actually play the way they're supposed to. I guess we'll kind of just wait and see, but... It sucks. The standards, the standards, unfortunately, still aren't there yet, and 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 hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully Chris proves us wrong. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the only real result that we can kind of build off of is, uh, you know, I mean, just a completely unremarkable zero zero draw against Orlando, where they only really managed, I think, five shots the whole game. So I mean, nothing. This is like the definitive of like a total blank slate of a slide. A bank, a blank slate of a side versus a fucking wild card team like us, right? That can either, and I mean, you know, it, it, it is either. I guess if you do want to look for things, I mean, we did smash them four nil at home while Mike Petke was still around. Uh, but you know, I mean, this the I, I'm not even going to touch anything from last season because it's just completely different circumstances. Because we're not playing at elevation, first of all. And I think when you talk about, I think, um, what team's going to show up, you know, if again, you know, early season conditioning coupled with elevation, I have my reservations in saying that they'd be able to execute an all-out press, right, for 90 minutes early on in the season in, like, early March, three, 4,000 feet above sea level. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah. I can totally see like just a f- absolute fucking slog of a match unfolding, and we lose on like a shit goal 
or something, just like just like how we did uh, when we when we went there in 2018, right? Ah, uh, the snow game, the snow game. That's yeah, right. exactly. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably going to be my prediction for the game. Like, um, it's going to be an absolute chore to watch because I think these are two sides that don't really have very lofty ambitions this year, who are struggling. I think to really. Um, who are struggling for different reasons. One, to kind of establish an identity, right? Which, because RSL are just a completely unremarkable side. And the other whose identity shifts like almost every other half, it seems, right? We don't know what team we're going to get. But yeah, I mean, this the, the, I, I've had this chalked up as a completely unremarkable like early season loss. I mean, it's fucking whatever, man. Like, this is probably the most whatever fixture I currently have on the schedule. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I could totally see this being as just one of those ugly early season losses. Just get the lumps, let's get the lumps out of the way. You're gonna say, yeah, probably a one nil loss is, in the road. This is a, the epitome of a, of a wet fart game. Like, I just. Uh... Yeah, like who gives a shit, right? Like, I don't even want to discuss this game at length anymore. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be on the road actually, probably during this game. So I'm just going to like have it on the dashboard and not, I'm not driving, just throwing it out there. I'll be a passenger. I, I'll probably just like put it on the dashboard and just put the volume up and I don't know. Watch, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of sums it up for us. Second game of the season, I'm ready, like, eh. Fucking whatever, man. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's annoying because, like, the reality is the chance of either a five nothing thrashing or like a weird three nothing loss is probably equal. But uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the likelihood for either of those results happening is like much slimmer than like the real median point, right? Which is either really podunk terrible bro. draw or a shit house loss so like no you, you know it's gonna be it's gonna be a torturous like brain oozing zero zero draw up until like the 87th minute and then they're gonna score and you'll be like seriously you could just do this in the first minute so i can just like <laughs> game off yeah you know i mean that was what was great about the 2018 game was at least carlos rivas had the decency to like free us from our prison right by conceding a penalty in like the third minute just getting and just getting on with it. Oh, that was cool. Yeah. And then we got to we got to sing shit at their mascot, and we inadvertently got them to sing their own fight song. So the away fans started the "If You Believe" song, right? To get the whole stadium booming in like the 60th minute. It was an excellent troll job. Rio Tinto 2018 was an inside job, you guys. I'm sorry to say. Uh, okay, with that, you know, let's just wrap out the episode with the with the questions. Uh, we don't really have. Oh. Oh, sorry. What? My, my, no, no. My prediction is going to be a one nothing loss. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. So we're aligned there as well. Uh, okay. So let's round out the uh, episode with the the mailbag. Uh, thanks again for everybody who sent in a question. Uh, let's see. Uh, three in the mailbag today. So the first coming from Ed Ritter, Edward Ritter, regular contributor Ed Ritter. Why can't we have nice things, Ed? <laughs> If you've been following our social media feeds for um, the last year or so, I think that answer would be abundantly clear. You know, <laughs> um, it's Chris Armis and capitalism. We added a reason why we can't have nice things. 
the two evil C's. That's why you have to tax them 90%. Yeah. <laughs> Undoing the evils of capitalism by doing... <laughs> actually, wait, no, no. Taxation in its own right is not necessarily... is not inherently capitalistic, actually. No, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I almost got misguided there. In fact, I think money should belong to the state. And the state should, uh, you know, more money should be given to the state to uh, invest in public infrastructure. So, yeah, you know, definitely increase the taxes. <laughs> increase taxes. Let's fucking do it. Specifically on Chris Armas. Specifically on Chris Armas and all these rich assholes that line the New York metropolitan area. Got to free all that. <laughs> Got to free the billions, man, from the, the bank, bank accounts that imprison them. Um, let's see. Um, a three a three piece from Brisas FC at Brisas Fan. Will you guys do fan interviews outside the stadium? I mean, I think that's in the pipeline once again, right? We didn't record, I think, last week because of because uh, I think there was there were scheduling problems, right? And it was just too fucking cold. That was my understanding from the read on the ground. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there, yeah, because the um, the rollout for the season ticket packages was kind of sloppy. Well, not kind of, it was just completely fucking sloppy. Um, pretty much, you had to get your package at the stadium. Which meant, you know, massively long lines. I feel like I was voting, voting, you know, fucking 14 hour wait lines and shit uh, to pick up your package. Um, So, yeah, some some people were were just too busy after the game getting their packages. And I was, I had my my photographer pass. I was on the ground and, you know, kind of wrapping. It was just a lot. It was a lot that day. So, yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't. And, yeah, it was also just fucking cold. (laughs) But, yeah, I do believe fan interviews are in the. Fan interview. We're bringing back the fan interviews at some point uh, this season. So yeah. just stay posted. Yeah. Stay with us. We'll, we're trying to figure things out. Uh, yeah. What is the position you think the Red Bulls need the most? Uh, definitely a, a defensive midfielder. I think we've gone through this at length. We really are just very exposed in the middle of the pitch right now. And I think it... I really think, you know, I mean, it pains me to say it because he's my boy, but you can't trot out one of Christian Caster. You can't trot out both Sean Davis and Christian Casters Jr. Right, and expect consistency in the middle of the pitch. And considering his pedigree, I think Casters Jr. needs to start over Sean Davis. So you need to bring in a defined defensive midfielder to sit next to Christian Casters Jr. I think that's really the position that we need to fill the best. Your thoughts? I feel like okay. If if these are if if Chris is gonna um. If Chris is going to do this whole thing where, you know, he's going to make these kind of big changes in, in the second half or really at any point of the game to throw, slow the team down and it's going to, you know, create the situations where they're not compact and they're, they're you know, kind of separate or whatever, you kind of have to find somebody who can fill both those both of those roles. And you kind of have to just not rely on casters to do that. Um, but you'd also go bench him. He's definitely not the person you want to bench. You, you got to get a, a solid ball ball winning six, someone who can play both of those, you know, type of uh, type of roles and positions. You know, tactically speaking. Um, and unfortunately, I, I I love Sean Davis. I feel like he's definitely an underrated player in the team. But I he's he's kind of, for me. He's kind of the odd man out. If we're gonna pick on specific roster spots, it that's kind of the odd man out for me at this point. Uh, rounding out the uh, three pack, if we could get any center back or full back, who do you think we'll get? 
I mean, I think like if you want to talk about realistic targets, like we've already talked about, I think about the shift in transfer strategy. So I think now you kind of identify that most defensive reinforcements will potentially come from someone who fits the profile that we talked about like halfway through the episode, right? Like some kind of a 20 something year old prospect that has some, has capability to be grown into something, to groomed into something more, right? Definitely 20 somethings in the lower leagues of Europe with some upward trajectory. You know, I think that definitely seems to be the strategy that Paul Mitchell and his team has laid out for us going forward. And, you know, I guess an underrated thing to talk about this is that it's nice to see, you know, potentially, I mean, again, we don't know what the roles and responsibilities are, but this definitely seems to be negotiations for this have seemed to have moved a lot faster than in the past, you know, where you just hear all kinds of fucking agonizing things, radio silence for like a month, and then suddenly be like, oh yeah, by the way, he's here, right? Like, I think you've seen enough bungled transfers in the past where um, where you've seen too many protracted transfer sagas with this team, I think, in the past. But now, you know, it seems like, you know, with Paul Mitchell there, the head of scouting there, Kevin Thelwell there, you know, things seem to be have been moving, progressing a lot faster uh, than they have in the past. So, yeah, big ups to them. But if it could sign yeah. anybody, any center back in the world, I mean, like, I'm like... I mean, the possibilities are endless here, right? Like, if you're talking about a completely unrealistic target, then fuck yeah. Give me, I don't know, like, uh, Kaladu Koulibaly, Virgil van Dijk. I don't, I don't fucking know, man. But yeah. <laughs> Realistically, yeah. yeah. I mean, so it'll probably be a slightly more obscure player that fits the profile that we talked about um, when we're talking about realistic targets. So that's what I think we're going to get. Yeah, I think we should definitely um, – we probably should be a little uh, a little slow with our expectations for when he joins. It don't, it's a possibility that, you know, his team may have jumped the gun just slightly, officially announcing it, kind of how uh, Hudakon did when he announced Gaku like three months in advance um, before everything was actually done. Uh, so – yeah, I, I I know they announced it, and I'm, I know you know the ball's rolling and stuff, but I wouldn't expect to see him join a team probably until at the end of the month, um, just because from what I've been told, there's paperwork to still have to get done. Like it's technically not finalized, finalized. Like an agreement has been reached, but there's still shit that has to get taken care of. And then there's the whole visa process, which this year is not even just us. Like basically every team in the league has had serious visa issues. So, you know, I that in itself is probably going to be a two, three-week hold. Um, but, uh, yeah, I I don't have any particular names for who I, would, who, would I would, who I would pick, but I will say I do like the shift in transfer policy. You know, I know everyone's big on, you know, trying to get South American players and all that stuff. Um, and I don't think – I don't think. I know that the team isn't ignoring South America. There were a couple of reports a couple of weeks ago um, that we actually had scouts down in South America. I think in shit, I forgot what what country, but it was a big tournament, like a, a big U twenty one or some shit tournament, um, and we actually had a scout down there. So our team still is scouting South America, which is good. But I do like a shift to trying to pluck out some players from from Europe. I mean. Yeah, the standard is high, mostly across all of the leagues in <clears throat> in Europe. We're high enough. 
um, even though, you know, on a League Two standard. So you're not really seeing that many teams in the league at all um, trying to go after young players from Europe. It's typically young players in South America because it might be a little easier to do. Convincing young Europeans to come to MLS of all leagues is not an easy thing. So it's and, and that's probably why maybe we failed on some transfers this this window. I, that might be part of the reason why there were some, you know, some offers that didn't didn't quite uh, you know go through. But it's definitely cool to see us kind of having a bit of a higher bar than uh, than maybe most other clubs trying to reach uh, reach you know to again young Europeans who really aren't you know probably gonna be too interested in coming to MLS. Rounding out the mailbag uh, this week is a question from Stephen DeUrso. Uh, Twizzlers or Red Fines? I've had neither. Sorry. No comment. <laughs> Twizzlers or what? Red Twizzlers what? or Red Vines. I think they're talking about candy. I've never heard of Red Vines before in my entire life. So is that Twizzlers by default? Yeah, I just Google it. This is... This is disrespectful to Twizzlers. <laughs> I've never, I've never had either. Like the entire time I was in America, I've never had a Twizzler. So, uh, yeah, I guess if that changes your opinion of me, uh, you can forward all your, you can, you can shoot me a really poorly worded, angry DM or something, whatever floats your boat. I probably won't read it, but if it floats your boat, like just send me all your hate. Uh, I don't even know what it tastes like. It just kind of looks like wax, dude. Like <laughs> it's like it's like sugar wax, but yeah, it's it's yeah. Yeah, that kind of sounds like it probably they, like they, they, they taste good until your 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 taste buds develop like you know a little bit more after ten years old or so. Like I, I couldn't even tell it was the last time I had a Twizzler. Yeah, I was gonna say, dude, it was like it looks like you're eating fucking candles, man. Like. It's kind of not my thing, you know, like shitting out like wax gelatin. Like, yeah, uh, that's a, that's that's going to be a pass for me. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm a boomer now. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we've all, we we all become what we despise eventually. It comes for us all. Uh, so with that, remember here at Metro Fan TV, everyone eventually dies. You will eventually die. And the world will continue to uh, turn without anyone ever remembering that you ever existed. Uh, so with that, the game against the RSL kicks off at what? 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, right? Yep. It's going to come on at like 3 o'clock for me. And I'm going to be honest with you folks. Like I find it really, I find it really hard pressed to have a reason to like drag myself out of bed to watch what is probably going to be a really podunk loss in the road to a completely unremarkable team uh so i will probably be watching this in tape delay just to like extrapolate things to talk about in next week's episode um yeah i mean i think that kind of has does it for us here on a at an economical 75 minutes which is what we'll be aiming for going forward Fernando, do you have anything you'd like to tell the viewers before we sign off for the week now, just uh, Chris, if you're listening, please don't play like a coward. Thanks. <laughs> Status quo, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, with that, Metro Fan TV saying peace out. We'll see you next week. Hopefully, no guarantees once again. 
Thank you for listening to Rundown, as always, and Tweet69 to Andrew Weavey. God bless you. Good night, folks. Good night. Later.